You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the latest in the ever-changing COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome again, John. Thanks, Mariana. Happy to be here again. So, John, what has changed recently with the COVID-19 guidelines? Yeah, so I thought we'd cover these. Uh, this, you know, probably by the time you see this, it's probably going to be sometime in September, but this is the most recent version uh, in the middle of August uh, that COVID-19 guidelines were updated then. I just thought I'd review them in detail. We, you know, I know we've talked about covid a lot in the very beginning of these podcasts, and I mean, we kind of hit it once in a while. Uh, and I think the most important thing remains, you know, make sure you're getting vaccinated, make sure you're updated on your boosters, all these things. But I think many of us are, are certainly seeing less COVID-19 on the inpatient side. I know uh, we were running around 20 to 25 admissions um, of patients in the hospital, but I'm sure the outpatient management is still remains a challenge. And I know that, um, you know, oral medications, just a reminder to everybody, they're still readily available in most areas. For treatment, so whether it's ritonavir boosted nirmatrelvir uh, or molnupiravir, also the SARS uh, two COVID uh, COVID two monoclonal antibodies are also available, especially the ones that are are able to be used for the Omicron uh, variants. So let's talk first about the about those monoclonal antibodies. So the guidelines did up this to update this section of the of uh, the of the guidelines and uh, with new information on the in vitro susceptibility of the circulating SARS COVID two variants of concern. Uh, to these available SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibodies. And basically, this is really discussing the anticipated clinical activity of different um, anti-SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibodies against what's circulating now, which is the Omicron BA.4 and the BA.5 subvariants. And so for hospitalized patients who are over 18, if you have mild to moderate COVID-19 who are at high risk of progressing to severe disease, the panel still recommends using just bebtilevimab, 175 milligrams IV as an alternative therapy only if the uh, nermatrelvir, ritonavir, and remdesivir are not available, feasible to use, or clinically appropriate with the treatment initiated as soon as possible within seven days. So you have to like kind of look and see what do we have in our area? Can we use remdesivir? Can we use uh, nermatrelvir boosted, uh, 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 um, or sorry, ritonavir boosted nermatrelvir? Yes or no. And if not, then bebtilevimab would be an option. It's one of the treatment options that can be considered for adults. Again, if they have mild to moderate COVID-19, hospitalized for a reason other than COVID-19, if they otherwise meet the EUA criteria for outpatient treatment. So please please just remember that because the Omicron variant of concern is now the dominant variant 
We don't want to use the old ones. We don't want to use Bamal and Nevermab uh, at a 7-Mab, uh, Casa Rivermab and Devermab, or Satrovimab. So those are some of the combinations. We have the Bam Eti, if you remember, the Cas and Devi, uh, and also Satrovimab. So those are some of the other, other monoclonal antibodies that are not now authorized for COVID-19 because they don't have any efficacy against, against the Omicron BA.4 and BA.5 subvariants. And what about immunocompromised patients? Yeah, so Mariana, they also updated the section on considerations of immunocompromised patients. There's a great section for us to read, especially if you're dealing with HIV, patients with HIV or transplant patients. So, so far, what we know is that patients who are immunosuppressed have a higher risk of progressing to severe disease or death from COVID-19 than the general population. So this updated section really covers the methods of preventing infection. It talks about vaccinating patients and their close contacts against COVID-19. And also, it also importantly uh, talks about the use of uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis with tixajevimab and siljavimab. Uh, so gavimab, sorry. Um, one additional issue is to make sure that before stopping or reducing the doses of you know, suppressive drugs, that they're promptly initiating antiviral drugs or anti-SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibodies in patients who have mild to moderate disease. So making sure you're managing some of the concomitant medications, looking at drug interactions and monitoring for secondary infections is really an important piece uh, before stopping uh, or reducing the doses of some of these, some of their immunosuppressive drugs. So some, so, some specific recommendations are here. Um, first of all, COVID vaccination for all people who are moderately or severely immunocompromised is important. Uh, also, close contacts of the people who are immunocompromised are, are also strongly encouraged. Uh, be up to date in your vaccinations. And also vaccinating household members, especially close contacts. Any of the healthcare providers who provide care for patients who are immunocompromised is really important to protect these patients from, from infection. So when it comes to the, the, the PrEP, Tixagevimab, so Gavimab um, uh, for adults, this is recommended for adults and adolescents who don't have SARS-CoV-2 infection or recent exposure to an individual with, with uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection. And for those who are moderately or severely immunocompromised may have an adequate an inadequate response to the vaccination. So there's still really insufficient evidence for the panel to recommend for or against the use of serologic testing to find that out. But if you think there's someone that you have that's not protected from, from, their, um, from, uh, from their vaccine, this, this uh, tix, um, tixagevimab and sugevimab uh, is certainly an option for, for, those, for those patients. John, what can you tell us about prevention of SARS-CoV-2 infection? Who should be getting monoclonal antibodies for prevention? Yeah, so again, this is all talking about the um, the TIXA and the SOGAVA. Um, but this is just so just for a couple of reminders. It's dosed as uh, two consecutive three mil IM injections, and then for adults and adolescents uh, who don't have SARS-CoV-2 or not been exposed and are moderately severely immunocompromised and then may have had an inadequate response to the vaccination. Or if they're not able to be fully, fully vaccinated, we've had patients like this as well, where they've had a reaction to, let's say the first or second dose of Pfizer, and now they don't want to get any other vaccinations and are even refusing Janssen, for example, or even uh, uh, Novavax, they may be refusing those other vaccines. They would be um, certainly um, candidates for, for tixagevimab plus silgavimab. So just repeat dosing is another important thing too. This should be done every six months. And I think the one thing we have to constantly remind ourselves is that these things don't aren't lasting for five, six years, right? 
these preventative measures and even the vaccines, the vaccines that you're getting, are they're not going to, they're probably not going to last for four or five years. So we're going to have to have some kind of protection for people, um, whether they're immunocompromised or not. Um, and I think this is just going to be the reality of COVID for all of us who are living through this, uh, through this, continue to live through this pandemic. Important that the tixacevimab and the sogevimab, that it's not a substitute for COVID-19 vaccination. That's important. And the guidelines are very clear about that and should not be used in unvaccinated individuals for whom COVID-19 vaccination is recommended. They really should get vaccinated because it provides, the vaccination provides the best protection. The other maps, as I mentioned before, are not going to be used for post-exposure, um, uh, should not be used for PrEP either, since that Omicron is the, is the, is the real variant that's, that's uh, currently dominating the SARS-CoV-2 uh, infections. Has anything changed in terms of therapeutic management of non-hospitalized adults with COVID-19? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about this previously, but the update briefly discusses some of the case reports of viral rebound with or without recurrence of symptoms, you know, after this course of nermatrovir ritonavir. These rebounds have not been associated with progression of severe COVID-19. I think despite what we hear in the lay press about the cases, the guidelines note that longer treatment courses or, or extending the treatment course or giving a second course of ritonavir boosted nermatrovir is not authorized based on the current EUA. So it's completely, it's beyond off-label. It's beyond off-label and outside of the EUA. So providers that may be doing that, just be very, very careful. If you have an adverse event in a patient that's really, really outside the EUA, I think you really don't have much of a leg to stand on. And there's also sufficient data on the efficacy of administering that second course. So really don't know if that's really going to work. So some of the case reports and results from the EPIC-HR trial, which was the trial that led to its approval, led to, led to its EUA, had described the SARS-CoV-2 viral rebound and the recurrence of, of COVID-19. It was in some patients, less than 2%, I think was the number, who completed treatment with ritonavir-boosted or matchavir. In addition, these viral and symptomatic rebound can also occur in the absence of treatment with, with, uh, with nermatrovir ritonavir. So the frequency and how this happens and the implications of it, I think are really unclear. And I think it's hard for us to make like, consistent recommendations here. While the EPIC-HR uh, study also, this is the one that looked at boosted um, nermatrovir, excluded pregnant patients that um, ritonavir has been extensively used in pregnancy. Um, so based on the mechanism of actions for both of these drugs, the guidelines now recommend ritonavir boosted nermatrovir for pregnant patients because of the potential benefits likely are going to outweigh those, those risks. One final point on the outpatient management is, uh, is steroids. So the guidelines have a real nice section on recent observational data that shows that corticosteroids confer no benefit and may potentially cause harm in patients with COVID-19 who do not require hot supplemental oxygen. So we would hear these stories about people, especially before uh, ritonavir, boosted nermatrovir. Some providers would say, well, okay, well, you got COVID, you're not that sick, I'm just gonna put you on Decadron outpatient, dexamethasone, which is what we use on the inpatient side. And really, they now stress that the additional use of corticosteroids in some of these non-hospitalized patients is really not recommended. So in addition to this, Mariana, there were some updates to the inpatient management as well. We may do that in another, in another section when that gets updated again, but really no major changes from the previous uh, version so far. So that's it for this week. So some recent updates to COVID guidelines. Hope this is helpful. Go back to the guidelines and take a look. I think they are really consensus guidelines that can really help you take care of your patients. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about the most recent changes to the guidelines in regards to COVID-19 so that we can all be up to date on keeping ourselves and others safe. 
We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaaetc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.